Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. They dominated the Bucks. Now the Cowboys stare down the juggernaut that is the 49ers. We're getting Bengals bills this time on Josh Allen's turf. And the Giants beating the Vikings is the best case scenario for the Eagles. I'll tell you why. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. There was plenty to be worried about for the Dallas Cowboys. It was Tom Brady at home, and Tom Brady is, for whatever happened this season, always, always going to be scary, but... For the Dallas Cowboys, aside from the kicker having an out-of-body experience trying to kick extra points, this script went about as well as it could have for the Cowboys. They win 31-14 on the final. Marcus Mosier from Locked On Cowboys joins me now. And, and Marcus, I know even late in that game, there had to be a little breath-holding moments, the onside kick, especially Mike McCarthy's history with onside kicks in the playoffs. But what did you see from Dallas, especially after that Week 18 game, that they tightened up here. Yeah, first of all, I'd never felt comfortable that the Cowboys were going to win this game <laughs> until I saw zeros, uh, especially once Mike Evans had that ball in his hand. Uh, mm. But no, I mean, Dallas was a superior team going into this game. It's why they were favored on the road. The only reason they weren't favored by more was because you mentioned it, it's Tom Brady, right? But this is kind of the same Tom Brady that we've seen all season, and the talent just eventually won out for Dallas. But the big story... Peter, is Dak Prescott. I yep. think not just including the playoffs, I think including the regular season, that might have been the best game I've ever seen him play. Uh, tell me why. Say more about that. I think he just had a lot to prove, right? And I think after the way the season ended last year, after the way that he played in week 18, I think he was laser focused. And the Cowboys did a good job of protecting him on the offensive line. They gave him some easy reads and some easy throws to kind of start this game, but you could just tell that he was locked in pretty quickly in this game. And when he's, when he's playing that like that, he's got the confidence. There's not many quarterbacks that are that are better than him than, you know, playing inside the pocket and inside the offense. Yeah. The final numbers are pretty incredible, especially against the Todd Bowles defense, 25 of 33 for three Oh five and four touchdowns. That is a one forty three point three passer rating. Not bad. Ran for a touchdown. <laughs> and, and so, I think as you look around the NFC now, Tom Brady, that foe has been vanquished. The rest of the quarterbacks in the NFC, it's Daniel Jones, it's Jalen Hurts, it's Brock Purdy. If you're the Cowboys, you have to feel pretty good about the position that you're in, understanding you have to go beat a really good 49ers team because you have to feel like you have the best quarterback right now in the NFC. Yeah, you've got the best quarterback in Believe it or not, you got the most experienced playoff quarterback, right? Because Brock Purdy is going to be making a second start. Daniel Jones is going to be making a second start. This is only going to be Jalen Hurts' second start next week. Like, you've got a guy that's at least seen some of these big games before. So, uh, listen, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the 49er matchup and how the Cowboys do and don't match up well against them. But, yeah, you've got to be feeling good that you have maybe the best quarterback in the conference left. How much of, of the unrest in Cowboys Nation about Mike McCarthy, the, the impending carrot of Sean Payton hanging over all of this, how much is a performance like this? I mean, this was, this was a beatdown. How much does that sort of settle the unrest about Mike McCarthy, do you think? 
I mean, I think it just completely ends it, at least for this year, right? There's no way you fire Mike McCarthy after this team won 12 games for the second consecutive year and won a road playoff game. Like, it's just not going to happen. Now, losing maybe Dan Quinn to a certain team out in the AFC West might mm. sting a little bit. But yeah, McCarthy's going to be the guy next year. There's no way he's not. But in terms of your confidence in him, do you think, like, we talked about this, you know, for he's for, good, but not great. Like there's a lot of coaches like Mike McCarthy. He's not Andy Reid, right? He's, he's not Kyle Shanahan, but he's in that next tier. And I think he's probably going to stay in that tier for a while. And it's, it's fine. I, I think he's a good, but not great coach. I don't think anything we saw tonight changed it. Stay up to date all year on the Dallas Cowboys by subscribing to locked on sports today and locked on Cowboys on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, what can the Bengals do to the Bills after barely surviving the Ravens? Before we get to that, Jim Harbaugh is off the market. Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all your gambling needs. Looking at some hockey lines, the Washington Capitals are slight home dogs to the Minnesota Wild. Bet Online has the Wild minus 117 on the money line. The Chicago Blackhawks also find themselves the underdog at home against the Buffalo Sabres. Bet Online has the Sabres minus 157 to win. And the Seattle Kraken are on the road against the Edmonton Oilers despite having dominated the Oilers in their two matchups in Seattle. The Kraken plus 144 to win in Edmonton. Bet online where the game starts. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Jim Harbaugh will not be coaching in the NFL next season. University of Michigan President Santa Ono tweeted Monday that he spoke to Harbaugh, who confirmed he would return for a ninth season at his alma mater. Harbaugh said in a statement, My heart is at the University of Michigan. I once heard a wise man say, Don't try to out happy, happy, go blue. Harbaugh had conversations with the Denver Broncos and Carolina Panthers in the past few weeks. Adam Schefter reported that Harbaugh had informed the Broncos he'd be returning to Michigan in 2023. Harbaugh's return comes amid an NCAA investigation into alleged violations during the COVID-19 recruiting dead period. Think Sean Payton wouldn't take a job like the Houston Texans? Think again. Payton completed an interview with Houston on Monday and confirmed in a media interview his interest in the Texans' job. When asked specifically if he'd consider the Texans, Payton didn't hesitate to say yes. He's scheduled to meet with the Denver Broncos and Carolina Panthers this week, and the Arizona Cardinals also have interest in the former Saints head coach, according to reports. In an interview with Colin Cowherd, Peyton confirmed that he and Saints general manager Mickey Loomis have discussed what compensation would be required for a team to hire him. Ultimately, the compensation for the Saints would be a mid or late first round pick. The Arizona Cardinals have a new general manager. They hired Mondi Asenfort, director of player personnel with the Tennessee Titans as their GM on Monday. Asenfort brings 21 years of experience to Arizona. He was with the Titans for the past three years and the New England Patriots for the 15 before that. Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell said in a statement that it was critically important for us to find the right person to lead us as general manager. And there is no doubt in my mind we have that. Does this preclude the Cardinals from adding Sean Payton? Sure seems like he wants a situation in which he can be the key decision maker. Maybe the writing on the wall in Phoenix. 
on the hardwood. Jason Tatum couldn't miss. He dropped 51 on the Hornets and led the Celtics to another dub. Boston Celtics get their seventh win in a row. Jason Tatum gets 51 points in the process. I'm John Corrales of the Locked On Celtics podcast. And the best part about this performance from Jason Tatum is he didn't chase it. He didn't force it. 51 points kind of came naturally in the flow of the game. Early on, the Hornets were blitzing Tatum. They were trying to get the ball out of his hands, and he made the right play. He made the pass that either led to an assist or a hockey assist or a just good ball movement possession where the ball found the right guy and, and he scored. Tatum ended up with five assists on the night, but got hot because he was attacking early and getting into the flow of the game, got to the line a bunch, 14 to 14 from the line. And that's how you build up a shooting night like seven of 12 from three that we haven't seen a lot of from Tatum this season. His three-point shooting has not been there. It's kind of amazing that he's this close in the MVP race without having a monster three-point shooting season. Maybe this is the beginning of a turnaround, but by making the right plays, guys like Derek White got going. Malcolm Brogdon got going off the bench. Marcus Smart made a contribution early. Up and down the roster, there are positive contributions that started with Jason Tatum. And Walker Kessler gave the Jazz a 20-20 and double-double and a win over the T-Wolves. Remember who the T-Wolves have, right? A Walker Kessler coming out party broke out in Minneapolis this afternoon as the Utah Jazz defeated the Minnesota Timberwolves 126-125. David Locke for Locked on Jazz. Walker Kessler was drafted with the 22nd pick out of Auburn by the Minnesota Timberwolves and then a few days later traded to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Rudy Gobert. And tonight, Walker Kessler became the first rookie since Minnesota Timberwolves' Gorgie Zhang to put up 20 points and 21 rebounds in a game. Kessler, in 31 minutes tonight, had 20 points, 21 rebounds, four assists, and two block shots. The Jazz also got a monster performance from Ochai Abaji, acquired in the Donovan Mitchell trade, who's also a rookie, 17 points in 32 minutes, and the two of them were on the floor as the Jazz played their 12th close game in their last 13 and prevailed 126-125 over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Here is another story you need to know. There are no bad games in the divisional round in 2023, but for my money, the game of the week is Bengals, Bills. It is going to be full of emotion for obvious reasons, and also the stakes make this one a monster matchup for both of these franchises. Jake Lisko joins me now from Locked on Bengals. And Jake, um, with, with the obvious understanding that this, the last time we had a conversation was an incredibly difficult one after the, the DeMar Hamlin injury. Now, DeMar Hamlin doing great. We get to focus on football, which is a wonderful thing. What do you take away from the win over the weekend against the Ravens as we push forward here into this matchup? Maybe it sounds a little bit hindsight to say this sort of thing. I feel like Baltimore was one of the worst matchups in the playoffs for the Bengals, Mm. similar to the way Miami gave Buffalo all they could take down to the wire in a game where Skylar Thompson was quarterbacking. Tyler Huntley quarterbacking for the Baltimore Ravens gave the Bengals everything they could take and maybe a little bit more depending on which advanced metrics you like. (laughs) Uh, But Mike McDonald has shown a really adept understanding of what the Bengals and Joe Burrow want to do on offense and has coached his defense 
to a place where, especially with the addition of Roquan Smith, they're able to make life very challenging for the Bengals. And that game went exactly how the Ravens wanted it to from a style perspective. Obviously, they would have preferred for the Hail Mary to have been caught or for Tyler Huntley to have not fumbled or not thrown in an interception, obviously. But from a stylistic perspective, the Bengals had three first half drives. They scored on their first drive of the second half, and I think they had three after that. I think they had a total of seven drives. Maybe it was one more than that. But it wasn't very many, and that's absolutely nuts. They were able to control the clock very effectively and make the Bengals grind out their drives and get the Bengals into third downs and get the Bengals' offense off the field, especially when Jonah Williams left the game and they really could start teeing off on Joe Burrow. So that's really the thing for me. For the Bengals, I do think they're a better team than they were last year. I think that they could certainly go toe-to-toe with the Bills, but I think they've lost three offensive linemen, one in three straight weeks. Three starters, three of the better starters at that. Alex Kappa, Lel Collins, and Jonah Williams now. And, and who remains is Ted Karras. And great, he, he's been playing really well this year, but now he's surrounded by a fourth-round rookie who wasn't expected to start before the season started and three backups. And so Joe Burrow shown the ability to adapt to this. We saw the Bengals make it to the Super Bowl last year with a probably slightly worse pass-protecting offensive line, but it gets a lot harder. What do you think ultimately decides who wins this matchup? It is two outstanding quarterbacks. It is uh, two teams that that are trying desperately to get that Super Bowl title. What ultimately decides this one? I mean, both teams need to play better than they did in the wild card round to win this game. If Josh Allen makes the kind of mistakes that he made against the Dolphins, the Bengals are the kind of team that you would think would be able to say, okay, that's that's plenty of turnovers. Thank you for the free possessions. We're going to go capitalize. And the Dolphins got back into that game too, right? And so divisional familiarity there certainly, uh, I'm sure, a part of that. But for the Bengals, it's going to be, can you protect? So does Josh Allen play like the superhuman Josh Allen, the big-time throw Josh Allen that's not putting the ball in danger a ton? And can the Bengals protect Burrow well enough to let him run the offense? Because even against the Ravens, when the offense didn't put up good numbers, Joe Burrow is still playing at a really high level in that game. When you when you watch the tape, you see what he's faced with. He's making quick decisions. He's getting the offense into advantageous situations as much as possible. He took four sacks. I don't really put any of those on him situationally. And so I think you know Burrow playing at a high level right now, but that can obviously be destroyed by a good pass rush. So Buffalo schematically very different on defense, not the kind of team that's going to try to change a picture a ton on you post snap, which is part of why Burrow is holding the ball at times against Baltimore. But, you know, ball security for, for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills and, and the ability to protect Burrow to me early in the week anyway, look like some big keys before we get, you know, injury information and things like that that could change things. Stay up to date all year on the Cincinnati Bengals by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Bengals on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. Coming up, the Eagles feel good facing the Giants. Daniel Jones was firing on all cylinders. Saquon Barkley was running all over the place. And Brian Dayball has the Giants operating like a well-oiled machine. Still, Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri from Locked On Eagles are happy to see the Giants in the divisional round. 
Gino, I think we've both come to the conclusion. I think the majority of Eagles fans yesterday could feel the vibe after the Giants upset Minnesota that although we respect the Giants, they have a great coaching staff. Daniel Jones looked really good against the Vikings, and they've been great late in games this year. They feel like a team that is kind of built for that moment at times. At the same time, I think this was the best-case scenario. To avoid Tampa Bay and Dallas in the first round and get the Giants, this was ideal. I 100% agree because if you look at the result of what happened in that game yesterday, it took Daniel Jones playing his best career football game of all time. It took Minnesota to be Minnesota and lose their first one-score game of the season where they were 11-0 in one-score games up until that point. And the strength of what the Giants do, it comes at the hands of Saquon Barkley. And what the Eagles have been able to do against the run the last six or seven weeks where that middle portion where guys were going over 100-plus, well, Saquon was one of those guys that you held in check. So you just have to do that again. You have to take that, excuse me, that game plan the first time you beat them and put that back into play. Because right now you're getting everybody back, quote-unquote, healthy. Lane Johnson will be playing through a torn adductor, which is crazy. Jalen Hurts is going to be playing through a shoulder injury. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had the lacerated kidney, which I'm sure isn't 100% healed. This team has to fight through adversity. But the thing that we have seen is that when they play their best football, they can beat everybody. And the Giants are one of those teams that they had their way with. Here's the thing. The Vikings were a worse team. They have names that you recognize, names that were on your fantasy football team, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, TJ Hawkinson, Kirk Cousins. They were worse. Adjusting for schedule, they were a less efficient offense. By EPA per play, they were a less efficient offense. Adjusting for schedule, they were were a less efficient team. Football outsiders, DVOA, defense adjusted, value over average. It is a great catch-all metric. Adjusting for schedule. The Giants were significantly better than the Minnesota Vikings. And by the way, they proved it by really controlling that Vikings game from start to finish. And let's not forget, just a week ago, the Giants and the Eagles played in a game that meant nothing to the Giants. They played Davis Webb. The Eagles needed to win to get the number one overall seed. They did not win in convincing fashion against not even the second string Giants quarterback, the third string Giants quarterback. That was a one score game, 22 to 16. And now the Eagles have to go try and beat a familiar opponent for the third time this season. Not exactly an easy task, but this is actually just simpler than all of that. The Giants were better than the Vikings. They're better coached. And I think they're more difficult to prepare for, even with the extra week. I get it in a way because it's Daniel Jones. And this team is not replete with playmakers on offense. But the Giants are better than the Vikings. You want to play the worst team. And that was Minnesota. But they're going to Cabo. And finally, the notorious last two-minute report in the NBA has the greatest of all time, fuming. No, not Michael Jordan. LeBron James tweeted, And all year, they kept telling me to my face on the court, I didn't see it. It wasn't a foul. Monday's report said there was no foul on Russell Westbrook when he tried to take a shot on the final Lakers possession in Sunday's loss to the Sixers. 
At the time, the Lakers believed Joel Embiid made contact with Westbrook's arm. The last two-minute report stated that Embiid slightly extends his arm before retracting it and marginally contacts the arm. This last two-minute report, and it's after the fact admission of incorrect officiating, might be doing more harm than good. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, who has the most to lose in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.